0: We are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord. It's interesting that the first group of followers of Christ didn't name themselves. In In fact, it wasn't until later at Antioch that they were given the name Christians by those watching their lives.
1: And they'll know we are Christians by our love,
0: by our love, yeah. By your love. And it makes me wonder if someone were looking at my life today, would they name me a Christian?
1: It's a humbling thought. When you think of church, shouldn't you automatically think of love?
0: Welcome to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp. Here, we hope you'll find answers to some of life's everyday struggles. You can learn more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. What does it mean to love? Does the world know the people, the church, by our love? This week, we're sharing part two of a series titled The Church on Trial that Charles Tapp gave several years ago, in which he examines the evidence with his message, The Love Church.
1: Today, we begin part two of our series, The Church on Trial as I mentioned at the beginning of our series, our goal over the next several weeks is to take an in-depth look at the church and to weigh the evidence to see whether the claims we have made or the charges brought against us put us in a place to be found innocent or guilty. And when you think about it, isn't that the purpose of a trial to examine the evidence in order to ascertain someone's guilt or their innocence? But before we plunge into part two of our series, I just want to take a moment to recap part one that we titled Upon This Rock. And we looked at Matthew chapter 16 and we find Jesus and his disciples taking a walk where Jesus in the midst of their journey just pauses and begins to ask them questions. He said to them, who do men say I the son of man am? And they responded by saying, well, some of you, some people say that you are John the Baptist, Jeremiah, Elijah, or just one of the prophets, or just a good man. But then Jesus paused and asked the question that is being asked of every disciple today. He said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter responded by saying, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I saw also unto you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, shall not prevail against it. Now, there are two revelations I want to share with you this morning from this passage. The first is that the concept of the church, this this God-ordained institution, originally in its roots had no religious or spiritual significance or meaning at all. As a matter of fact, it finds its root in the Old Testament, in in a word Called Gahal, which means to call or to summon a group or an assembly from one place to another place. And secondly, that Jesus says that this church, this group that he has called from the world to him, will be built upon this rock. And this rock here in Matthew 16:18 is not making any reference to Peter, although his name does mean rock. But in the original language, the name for Peter is translated Petros, where the rock, this rock that Jesus is referring to, is Petra. So in other words, Jesus is saying to him, I'm gonna build my church not on you, the rock, Peter, but rather the rock of the revelation that you had. And what was that revelation? That I'm not just any man. I'm not Elijah. I'm not Jeremiah. I'm not John the Baptist come back from the dead. I'm the one you've been looking for. I'm the Christ. I'm the son of the living God. And all the church said, amen. Amen. The essence of the foundation of my church, this new community that I am building will be founded on the fact that I am who I claim to be. I'm the Christ. In other words, he was saying, Peter, anyone who decides to accept me as their Lord and Savior, I'm going to use them as a stone to build on this foundation. And at the end of the day, you're going to have this new community called the church. And because we are built on the foundation that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, we then become a living, breathing extension of the kingdom of God right here on this earth. And it is on this point that we need to be perfectly clear, dear friends. The church is not a man-made institution. The church is not a group of denominations. The church is not a place of worship. As a matter of fact, when Jesus actually referred to the place that they had corporate worship, he says, and in my house shall be called a house of prayer. Amen? Amen but rather the church is the people who love God and who place themselves under his reign and become part of the kingdom of God. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Turn to Romans chapter 16, verses one to verse five. Romans 16, taking a look at verses one to verse five. Do you have it? He says, I recommend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a helper in the church, I ask you to accept her in the Lord in the way of God's people should. Help her with anything she needs because she has helped me and many other people also. Verse 3, give my attention to Priscilla and Aquila who work together with me in Christ Jesus and who risked their own lives to save my life. He says, I am thankful to them and to all non-Jewish churches are thankful as well. But look at verse five. He says, also greet for me the church that meets in their house. He's saying that the church is not a place. It's not the house. Paul is saying that you are the church. And I am the church. The location does not define the church. So you can be in a house with two people on an edifice like this with 1500 people. But the church is not the building. The church is the people of God. And since that is the case, then if a church burns down, the church still exists which means we need to do some adjustment with our thinking. I hear people say all the time, well, I'm going to church. No, you're not. You're going to the house of prayer. I hear some say, well, we had church today. No, you didn't. Church is not somewhere you go. Church is not something you have. Church is who you are. You are the church, and I am the church. And if these people, the church are part of God's kingdom, if we're part of an extension of the kingdom of God here on earth, that means then that we, you and I must be agents of God's love and of God's grace. Look at first John chapter four, verses seven to verse eight. Beloved, let us love one another for love is what? Of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and what? Knows God. Look at verse eight. He who does not love does not what? Know God for God is what? Love. Let's do a little exercise in deduction here. If the church is built upon the foundation that Jesus is the son of God, God doesn't simply demonstrate love, but by nature he is what? Love. Then the foundation of Christ's church has to be built upon what? Love. And if the church is not the building, but the people who love God, then his people must be known by their willingness and their ability to love. Because the church is built upon God, God is love and we're part of the church, which means we must be living, breathing instruments of God's love to the world. When we began part one of our series Church on Trial, we did so by playing an association game, word association game. Some of you were not here, so I'll give you a little taste of what we did last week. If I say the word cat, the first word that pops into your head is what? Dog. If I say man, you think of, if I say rich, you say, if I say poor, you say me. (laughs) But when I say church, hmm, I did this experiment with my students at WAU. I said, tell me the first word that comes into your mind when I say the word church. They gave me a whole list like God and praise and worship and boring and sleep. No, they really did. Not this church, they were talking about, you know. But why is it, why is it the word love is not the first word that pops into our heads? When you think of church, shouldn't you automatically think of love? And that's what Jesus was trying to say to his, his disciples, that my church is built upon God. And God is love. It's not built upon the building. It's not built upon the service. It's not even built upon the doctrines. It is built upon this thing called love. It's that simple. Or is it? Why don't we associate church with love? When you think about it, there's probably no other word in all of human language that is as misunderstood and abused as this word love. You would think that a word that is used so often by so many would be so easily understood for love has been and continues to be the most popular theme in just about every segment of our society. But for some reason, we just can't get a handle on this thing called love. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Years ago, and I know I'm going to show my age, years ago I saw this commercial on television. This young guy is getting on the bus and he sees this beautiful young lady. Don't be afraid to talk to somebody if you So he walks over and he sits down right beside her on the bus and he starts to talk to her. Within a few seconds, she gets up and goes to another seat. So the next day, he gets up enough courage and does the same thing again. He sees her on that bus, walks over, sits down, turns and speaks to her. She gets up and goes to another seat. The next day at the gym, he's telling this scenario, this encounter, sharing it with his friend. And his friend said, I know what your problem is. He said, man, you haven't used (laughs) close-up. He said, that's your problem. You're using the wrong toothpaste. He said, man, if you just try this, it's going to change your world. So he goes to the store, leaves the gym, goes to the store. First thing he buys is a tube of close-up. Next day, same bus stop, same bus, same girl. So he sits down he begins to talk with her, but this time she doesn't move. This time she turns and begins to have conversation with him. And the commercial ends that way as the bus drives off. But in my mind, it doesn't end there, oh, no, 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 it doesn't end there. I can see them meeting on that same bus every day at the same time, I can see him asking her out to dinner. I can see them going to the theater and going to this place and that. I can see them getting married. I see them with five kids. I see them with 10 grandkids. I've got an active imagination. Listen. Listen. If true love and the true understanding of love, if it can't be found in our culture today, if it it can't be found in the music that we listen to, if it can't be found in the movies that we watch, can it be found in the church? Let's go to John chapter 13. As we look at verses 33 to verse 35. Little children, this is Jesus talking, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you do what? Love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Look at verse 35. By this we'll all know. By this we'll all know. By this we'll all know that you are my disciples if you have love one for the other. You're listening
0: to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and part two of The Church on Trial, The Love Church. And if you're enjoying this message or you'd like to find others like it, you can find out more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. We'll conclude with the rest of his message right after this.
1: Man, when I think about WGTS, I think about family, and uh, WGTS lifts me up. The whole crew has truly been a blessing in my life, and um, I'm forever grateful for WGTS and what they do for myself and for the community
0: support makes a difference. I
1: always uh, encourage people like you want to listen to something to be encouraged when you're going through a tough time turn 91.9. Um, They're definitely up with the spirits and uh especially in the time time we're in right now in society
0: working together to impact the nation's capital. We are
1: family. And I am forever grateful for for the WGPS family because that's exactly what it is, family and we get to be a part of that as listeners, which is is amazing.
0: Listener funded, WGTS 91.9. Always encouraging. At 88.3 on the Eastern Shore. This is Simple Truths for Life, and what does it mean to love? Does the world know the people, the church, by our love? Charles Tapp examines the evidence with part two of The Church on Trial with his message, The Love Church.
1: Jesus was making preparations here to, to leave his disciples without him. And in Jesus' day, whenever a man in the household would prepare to leave, to go off to battle, or if he was dying, he would always put together a word to leave behind for his children so they could pass it on to future generations. And that's what he does here in John chapter 13 to chapter 17. And the new commandment, that Jesus gives his disciples is really not a new commandment. It's not one to add to the 10 that they already had. But in essence, Jesus was saying, I've got a new word for you. And it's a word I want you to take to heart and I want you to pass it on to future generations. And what's new about this word It's not the command to love. For when you look throughout the Old Testament, you see examples of love, and you see God saying that, that we should love. But what makes this difference different rather is what Jesus says at the end. He says, "Love as I have loved you." For Jesus says, "I want you to love perfectly." Look at Matthew chapter five, quickly, verses 43 to verse 48. Look at what Jesus says about this perfect love. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and do what with your enemy? Hate your enemy. That sounds all right, doesn't it? But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless those who do what? Curse you. Ouch. Do good to those who hate you. Now this last part is really tough. And Jesus says, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Are you serious? You want me to lift them up to you? I want to lift them up, but it's not up to you. But why does he want us to do, do this. Look at verse 45. That you may be sons of your father in heaven. For he makes his son, the S-U-N, rise on whom? the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the what? Just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? In other words, you haven't really done anything. Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even tax collectors do so? Here it is in verse 48. Here's the clincher. Therefore, in other words, based on all that I just said, you shall be perfect just as your father in heaven is what? Perfect. Perfect. A lot of people read that verse and they think that Jesus is saying that we've got to be perfect in our walk with him. They call that perfectionism, but that's not what he's talking about. That's not even the topic. The topic of this entire passage is what? Love And loving the way God loves. How does Jesus say God loves? He loves the lovely as well as the unlovable. In other words, God wants us to love the way he loves indiscriminately. In other words, if you're going to be part of my church in my kingdom, you can't love who you want to love. You've got to love those who don't even love you back. You've got to love those who may not be of the same hue that you are made up of. You've got to love those who may not be in the same socioeconomic class that you're in. You've got to love those who talk about you, despise you, hate you, treat you wrongly, take your life even. But Jesus says, love them, but don't stop loving them. Pray for them. Are you kidding me? This is not how love is viewed by the culture today. Look at this definition of love that I found years ago when I was in college. Living God's Love, author Douglas Cooper, page 26. I want us to read this together. You ready? Here we go. Loving is using one's God-given power of choice to do or say that which is in the best good or interest of another regardless of feelings. What is he saying? That God's love and the way God wants us to love is by doing what's in someone else's best interest regardless of how it makes you feel. Which means then we've got to shift our thinking because sometimes Love doesn't feel like love. Sometimes to love someone and even to receive love, it may not feel like love. Listen, sometimes when your parents love you and they do what's in your best interest, it's not going to always feel like love. Amen, parents? Trust me. Well, mom, why can't I hang out with him? No, you can't. Why can't I have my cell phone after midnight? No, you can't. Fast forward, when you become a parent, light bulb. Oh, mom, thank you. Thank you for all the love you showed me when I was a young child. I didn't know then, but I know now. I don't get a warm feeling for doing what's best for those who call themselves my enemies. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't get this warm, you know, oh, I just love you. I don't get that. <laughs> Jesus is saying, listen, if you're going to be part of my church and be part of my kingdom and be an extension of grace and love to the world, you can't be worried about how loving makes you feel because love is not a feeling. It's all about what you do. He can say, I love you, but what has he done for you lately? The New Testament church, they knew all about love. Acts chapter 2, it says that they loved their community so much. They're praying, they're giving, they shared their possessions, they sold and gave what they had to others who didn't have anything. And when you look at verse 47, look at the byproduct of how They loved the church and what came about as a result of that. It says, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were what? Being saved. They didn't have any ten effort. They didn't have any Daniel Revelation seminar. They didn't have any crusade. They didn't have any week of prayer. All they did was demonstrate God's love as the church. And God added to his church daily which means then if I'm the church and you're the church, when you go to work, you take the church with you. In your communities, you're the church so the next time you want to complain by saying the church needs to do X, Y, Z, look in the mirror and talk to yourself I've been guilty of it too. I'm the church The church needs to do X, Y, Z. But if I'm the church, that means I need to do X or maybe Y or maybe Z. In Matthew 16 and verse 18, when he says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. In other words, this force of love that the church has will be so powerful, it will be able to knock down any barrier that stands in its way. Love. Love. True love. Why are we afraid of the word love as a church? Does it make you feel weak when you focus on love instead of the law? Did you know that love is in the law? For Jesus said, if you love me, that should be the motivation for you keeping the law. And if you keep it for any other reason other than loving me, it's called legalism. Look at what Martin Luther King says about the force and the power of love. He says, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only what? Love can do that. Which means as the church, as enfeebled, as defective as we are, if we're truly the church, we can knock down any barrier that stands in front of us. In other words, Jesus is simply saying, I want you to be the love church. But here's the thing about being the love church. It's not a title that Jesus wants us to give ourselves. It's a title he wants the world to place upon us. I was pastoring in Elmira, New York as a young man straight out of college I pastored this congregation. I was their first pastor, brand new congregation. Within that first year, many of my members would come to me and say, Pastor, have you heard about the new church in town? I said, no, I haven't. I said, what is it called? The Love Church. I said, no, no, no. What's his name? The Love Church. No, no, no. I mean, what's on the sign? Pastor, didn't you hear us? The Love Church. So I drove by there. And on their sign, the Love church. But here's the thing. Putting a sign on your church doesn't make you the love church. What makes you the love church is simply that you're willing to do what's in someone else's best interest, regardless of how it makes you feel. The love church means you've got to do what's best for your enemies, even though they're your enemies. And we're not talking about an institution. We're talking about you. You're talking about me. And if I truly want to be the love church, it's not about putting a bumper sticker on my car that says, honk if you love Jesus. What makes me the love church is that I've got to be willing to love, truly love, to truly do what's in someone else's best interest Putting my own aside. Well, Pastor, I don't like that. I don't want anybody walking on me. They hung Jesus to a cross. and you worry about somebody walking on you? I don't care whether you like me. you got to love me. I don't care whether I don't like you. I've got to love you. Because I'm part of the church. And the foundation of the church is built upon God. And God is love.
0: You've been listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, The Love Church. And if you want to listen again or share it with someone, you can find these messages on platforms like Apple Podcasts and now also on Spotify. Or visit us online at simpletruthsforlife.org. Now here's what we're working on for next week.
1: When you love, you don't just give the minimum. Because love goes above And beyond. Amen? Next week, Charles Tapp
0: continues with the third part of this series, The Church on Trial, by examining whether being a part of God's kingdom is worth the price, with his message, The Cost of the Kingdom. Well, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll plan to join us again next week for more Simple Truths for Life.